So apparently we're doing a podcast. We are doing a podcast. I've never, I've talked about podcasts. I listen to podcasts. I've never yeah. done one. I actually truly don't know if you've ever done one. Either. I have not a uh, bit nervous, actually. Uh, not just about like, I can't get out of my own head right now. I just desperately want to know how my voice sounds. I think you sound great. You um, too, buddy. You too. Thanks, man. Thanks. Okay. Hey, listen, for our listeners, we should tell them who we are a little bit, I guess, first. What if no one listens? Then my grandchildren will love this. Oh, okay. Great. This is a podcast where two old friends, both Canadian, one black and one white, and both men, explore what it looks like to adopt the mindset of an inclusive society. Instead of asking, how do we get there? Jake and Chris discuss, what does it look like to act as if we're already there? Welcome to the disorienting dilemma. No, they, okay. won't. they won't listen to it. <laughs> okay. Oh, we should probably, you're right. We should probably say who we are, what we do. You first. Okay, sure. My name's Jake McIsaac. I'm actually talking to you from Halifax, Nova Scotia. I work at a university here with their campus security department. I want to talk a little bit about my identity. So how I just show up in the world, not just what I do or how I make money or pay the bills or spend my work week, you know, the, like the, who am I? Mm -hmm. I identify as African Nova Scotian. Like I said, I live in Halifax and my pronouns that I use are he, him. That might be new for some folks, but it's kind of a practice that I have just kind of orient folks to who I am. And since we're not on video, you wouldn't be able to probably. Right. Tell that. Tell. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice to meet you. Well, I actually know you. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but it's nice to meet these other folks. Yeah. And we're going to talk about why we're doing a podcast in a second. But let me do the same thing in introduction. My name is Chris Jarvis, and I am living in Baltimore, Maryland. I am from Halifax. So that's where Jake and I met a whole bunch of years ago. I know we've talked about this. Over 20. It's got to over, be over 20, 20 years ago. Over 20 years ago, yeah. in one of our podcasts, we'll have to explain that little story of how we met. I am a, I identify as white, Caucasian, I guess, and him, his, dude, just guy, 50 and white. So I'm, I'm your prototypical icon for whiteness in North America. I, I, I like to think I'm typically visually looking like that, but, um, hopefully in this podcast, we can explore some of the internal side of us. You're right. We've got a couple guys talking about yeah. stuff. So we're not going to have every perspective. We're not even going to pretend like we're going to cover off every perspective. It's just two of us talking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that too, because I, I forgot to say what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I work with companies, uh, the firm I'm with, uh, we work with companies on their employee giving and volunteering programs, corporate citizenship. People might know it as CSR, or corporate social responsibility. And typically they're larger companies with a big employee base. For the last decade, we've been talking about how do we address our natural inclination towards an us and them way of seeing the world in and out black and white, men and women, it's kind of a binary approach to life. And what's going on in science behind this, and I'll tell you why that matters, and Jake, you and I have talked about this before, but that matters because when we're talking about getting out into the community and volunteering, we almost always go to places where we interact with groups of people or perspectives or identities that are very dissimilar from ours. And to do that well, we need to know what's going on inside of us. 
Jake and I have been talking about this for years in one way or another, and recently on calls because uh, Jake is also part of the RW Institute's faculty. And so as we talk more about diversity, inclusion, equity, uh, racism, systemic racism, and all these uh, types of important conversations, we realized, actually my partner realized, she was listening to me on one end talking to Jake and I, I forget what we were talking about, but I had a question. Maybe it was about intersectionality or something like that. And she said, you know what, Chris, I'd love to hear both sides of the conversation. Yeah, That's the perfect way to say it. Hear both sides of the conversation. And a, a light bulb went off and then Jake and I are talking. And as soon as we got the courage, we decided, let's see if we could have a conversation in front of an audience and invite them into the conversation because as you already said, Jake, our perspectives are, even if they are somewhat informed, and I hope they are, they're, they're not, they're not big enough. They're not broad enough. No, they're not full. They're not fully formed, which is what I no. like is that in most of our conversations, we're, we're feeling it out together too. Like, so we're yeah. building understanding and what I've always enjoyed about our conversations is that I've always left a telephone call or a check-in with my mind full. I, I leave thinking about yeah. lots of things yeah, and yeah. Uh, really appreciate that. So hopefully we're able to do that for other folks too. Jake, I know you and I have both listened to phenomenal podcasts about how do we get to a more inclusive society, something more diverse, something more equitable. And we do not want to get in the way of those conversations. Right. Um, we're just saying, okay, so if it was inclusive, if it was diverse and it was equitable, how would I act? How would I think? How would I see the world? And that's really, I think, what I want to unpack with people who are courageous enough to listen. And using that restorative approach uh, that we'll talk a lot about over the next number of podcasts, I'm sure, as, as a way of doing that work, it helps us think about what are the conditions required to usher in that change. So if we want to see a more inclusive space. It's not wanting it is not just, it's not enough, right? So we have to think about what needs to change, what needs to give, what needs to be built, how do we need to connect differently? And so that restorative approach pays attention from a human centered perspective of all those connections and interconnections, what's, what's related in establishing a just society and just relations. So making sure that we treat each other justly, but also the systems and structures around us are also uh, doing the same. Now, for the listeners, you should know Jacob knows what he's talking about when it comes to a sort of approach. It's, he's had to apply that in some pretty difficult situations. And we're probably going to do a, a number of episodes on some of those. But I think maybe we could unpack some of the principles that we'll be going through. And we want to do it again for the audience. We want to do it in a way that allows you to not get held up on, oh, my gosh, there's too much terminology. I have to take a course to listen to yeah. What we want to do is make a real world connection between these concepts and the situations we find ourselves in every day at work, at home, in the neighborhood. And so let's, let's unpack the title. Yeah. So it, we talked about it, but it was your idea to name it the podcast, the disorienting dilemma podcast. Kind of because it's what we kept coming back to. Yeah. Uh, we had a whole bunch of other ideas, but the one thing that has always kept us moving and thinking differently, I think, over our relationship is that it has been a bit intentionally disruptive. It forces us to have these conversations that leave our brains thinking for days after a call. And sometimes it's stuff that we don't want to do or don't 
want to, you have to wrestle with it a bit. And then you're always left with, okay, so what does that mean for me? And that, I don't know if we kind of experience it, but why don't you define it a bit? Yeah. Okay. So that's good. And I, and I think this will be helpful. You'll find it in the show notes and some links and whatnot, but disorienting dilemma. First of all, these are terms that human beings typically don't like to experience. Nobody likes to be disoriented and nobody likes dilemmas. Both need resolution. So this term was formalized in an approach called transformative learning theory. It's an adult education theory based on experience, experiential learning theory. And the disorienting dilemma is a moment where what you're experiencing does not line up with what you believe. That's the disorientation. The dilemma is, how do I make sense of this? So uh, I'll give you an example. If you go to a soup kitchen, I take groups to soup kitchens. Jake, you and I have done this for years in Halifax back in the day. Yeah. We get everybody. We do a, uh, when we do employee volunteering, if you remember, that's the work I do with uh, companies. And we bring them to a soup kitchen. We stand them in a semicircle. We do a, about a 10 or 15 minute brief. And I tell them what to expect and why this work is important. And I usually say, you know, just be open to new experiences. And at the end, we're going to reflect on that. So we do this critical reflection at the end before everybody leaves. Again, a circle. And I just ask two questions. What did you experience? Was it what you expected? Those are two questions. Not, was it well done? Did you like the way it was run? Those are survey questions for later. This is just, who were you in the moment? And that is incredibly uncomfortable for people. What did you experience? Was it what you expected? And they have to answer that that way. I experienced, I expected. 100% of the time, within the first three answers, someone will say, you know, the guys that we served the soup to were so polite. They were really grateful. They, they were really nice. I do not follow that up with what did you expect, <laughs> but I know what they meant, right? Because they have this idea of a homeless person on the side of the road. You avoid them. They're angry. They're dangerous. They smell bad. They're a little bit, nobody will say this and nobody will consciously think it, but a little bit subhuman. And that's what we have to do as a society in order to let people sleep on sidewalks in sub-zero weather. Right. So that's just how we deal with it. But so as we're tracking along, I'm, I'm wondering, there is something though evolutionary about how we read the world around us. Yeah. It's hardwired into our past experiences yeah. because I mean, what you're talking about, it's a blank slate every time. And I'm just going to interpret, I'm going to give yeah. time to build understanding. And by the time I've done that, the dinosaurs would have gotten me. <laughs> So, right. so right. it's not a, a contemplation yeah in front of a big animal is not the best practice so you're talking about it's okay to have some of those preconceived notions or at least we we start with the fact we presuppose that people are coming in with their past experiences traumas lived experiences yep. understanding and is it the disorienting dilemma i think is that that shifting the worldview it's creating that critical reflection moment for folks. Yeah. Dilemmas usually. That's, I think what we hope to experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but dilemmas usually occur when people have experiences, as I said, that don't fit their expectations or make sense to them. So they can't resolve it. Like there's, it's just, it's like a splinter in the mind without a change in the way they see the world. And for us, for what we talk about, how can we become more equitable, inclusive, diverse, um, 
we have to change the way we see the world. And so disorienting dilemmas, while they need to be resolved and they can be uncomfortable, and they're often full of a lot of baggage, you we cannot advance as a species without understanding them and letting them create some curiosity for us to ask new questions. Yeah. I, that's, I think, what we've been doing in these conversations. So to do it on this platform is a bit scary, but familiar at the same time. Like it feels a, like a place that we can try to make safe for that kind of sense making. And I, it's, when you talk about the soup kitchen at, at the end in the debrief, putting folks in the circle, asking them those questions, getting them to reflect about how they showed up, what did they experience, what what was it like for you? That is uh, hopefully what we can accomplish on this podcast is creating that same kind of guided, safe yeah. conversation, facilitated, but not fully baked, where we're giving ourselves lots of permission to say, you know, I, I might imagine that three episodes down the road, we go, oh, you know what? I've continued in learning. And what we said in episode two, <laughs> I've got to revisit yeah, that. Or we I got some so. really hard feedback from something we said in episode two that I didn't know at the time. But so I, I, I'm hoping that we can, in the same way we would be with each other, this is the scary part, is is that, that, that to open it up to other people. We have a relationship where we can do that with each other. So Jake, one of the first pushbacks that I we were afraid of was why you two? Yeah. Um, why not us? No, I, I hate when people do that. I like to be a part of this because this is actually a journey that I'm on. Yeah. And um, I think you are too. And we've talked a lot about it. We will probably get into our own backgrounds along the way, but this has been a journey of many years of just trying to understand. And it's been self-taught and, and guided and it's not without any kind of framework. I think we bump into people who know a lot more and we find that and we're yeah. constantly seeking that out. But now we're kind of at a place where we can pass on some information so it's not as hard to get on that journey. Yeah, I would say that's right. It's access to the conversation. There's so much about this that you don't, I wouldn't even, you know, let's talk the term intersectionality. Jake, you shared that term with me, I think maybe back in 2016. Uh, when it was in Halifax, and we had a really great conversation. But I have to tell you what you're you're explaining to me and talking about uh, Crenshaw and the origins of it. I just my mind exploded because I thought, how can I be at this stage of my life and never have heard this yet? And it's not because I wasn't interested. It's just I didn't know how to ask the right question or find the right conversation or Google the right thing. And so for me, I, I thought, you know what? Let's be courageous and have a conversation, put ourselves out there in a way where we could learn more from the people that we're discussing in front yeah. of and hopefully with. Yeah. But at the same time, for people who are looking for more access or accessibility to be a part of the conversation and not feel threatened by it yeah i and i don't feel like a lot of pressure because at the end of the day i'm a security guard just talking about some stuff we're just built a little bit different uh here i don't know it's it's how can we take what is sometimes an abstract concept uh, and these you know like you talk about intersectionality and for forever it's kind of been held in the hallowed halls of the academy and we have a whole lot of really bright people talk about these theories and explain them out but we have a whole bunch of main street level folks saying okay yeah but what's that mean to me 
Yeah. And I think making these conversations accessible in a way that gives a, where we're, there's some vulnerability, we will get some stuff wrong because we're not holding ourselves out to be experts, no. just learners. So I, I, I think that's what kind of is most exciting to me about why us. We would be doing this if no one was, if it wasn't being recorded, we'd be having these weekly conversations, checking in saying, Hey, how's your week? What are you learning? What are you reading? We're pretty lucky to have that in each other and with other close contacts that we have in our lives where we can do that. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. So I think we've listed them all, but I, I, our concerns are we're not putting ourselves out there as experts. We're putting ourselves out there as learners who are looking for more people who are interested in learning and sharing what we've learned that may be helpful to others. But I, in no sense, <laughs> would I call myself an expert in any of these topics. I think that remember back way back, we used to say, we're just one hungry person telling another hungry mm -hmm. person where to find bread. So, I mean, that's kind of where I, we're at. Hey, I've got the, I've got the plug. I've got the hookup. Yeah. So kind I don't know. I think that's kind of the energy behind it. Yep. And also along, and you mentioned this already, we do not represent all points of view or all life experiences, just our own. And even then our own own. So I, I do not speak for a group or a mindset. I just, oh I'm yeah, yeah. Just me. I, right. I can't yeah. be your black friend. Right. Yeah. So I, I, you know, the, the guy you call and say, yeah, so what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to do that. But, but I also can't speak for everybody and yes. or, nor would I want to. So I think, uh, as we find our rhythm, there's going to be a really great space for, uh, listener contribution to be that community. So one of the other things that you already mentioned is that, um, the way we talk about things or the things that we emit in the conversations may be offensive or even the topics themselves may be offensive. And they probably are offensive, but that's part of the disorienting dilemma. Uh, however, I want everybody to know who's listening. We do not intend to offend you. So if we've missed something, inform us. If you have a question about something, ask us. And if you've got pushback, like if you're like, that is not quite my experience or my point of view, or that's not based on good scientific research, share that, like push on this. The, the, the more that we get that in the comments or the follow-up or however you may want to talk to us, the, the more successful I think I'll feel personally in my own journey and in maybe the point of this podcast as well. We mentioned earlier, uh, there's a couple of key ideas in this podcast. I just want to share a couple of them before we wrap up. You heard me just say transformative learning theory. That's an adult education theory of learning. I'm not an expert in it, but it lines up very well with the work that we were doing with companies on the experience people have when they volunteer for the first time and then gradually move into volunteer guides kind of thing over the years. And basically the idea is that transformative learning theory is defined as an orientation which holds that the way learners interpret and kind of reinterpret their sense experience, uh, kind of, you know, what they see, what they hear, that kind of thing is central to making meaning and hence learning. So that's the basic premise that experiences in life don't come with intrinsic meaning. We all decide what an experience means. That's why a number of people can have the same experience, but have 
completely different in emotional response, uh, in intellectual response, because they're all bringing their own meaning based on who they are and what they've experienced before to that moment. And ultimately, you know, it, it happens that learning is transformative when three things happen in someone's life. And this has been true for me. This has been true for the volunteers that we worked with together, Jake and Halifax, and three changes. Here they are. Psychological change, the way I perceive myself in the world, like who am I? What role do I have? Do I have a sense of agency to make change? How do I see myself? That's, that's the first one. That's a psychological change, okay? Second one is a convictional change. This is where I'm willing to revisit my core belief systems. Most of us, what we believe about the world is riddled with errors or misjudgments, misinformation, missing information. Uh, and we'll get into that one. But a convictional being willing to challenge my beliefs or at least open myself up to say, is what I believe about this true? And then finally, the third one is um, action, behavior, how I act in the world. Over time, has that experience changed the way I act? And, and this is based on uh, neuroscience. And again, you're going to hear us talk about cognitive science, neuroscience, behavioral sciences, that kind of thing. And we're going to put a lot of that research down there. So for those of you who like to geek out over those kinds of things, those white papers and all that cool stuff, uh, that'll be there too. But a psychological change, how I see myself, a convictional change, what I believe to be true, and a behavioral change, how I act in the world. Good transformative learning has those three uh, results. And we mentioned restorative approach earlier. So maybe before we wrap up, since that is so key to what we're talking about in terms of how we relate to each other, could you unpack that one for us a little bit? Yeah, it's absolutely everything that Chris just said, except it's not doing it alone. So a restorative approach is, is this connecting that other people are on the same journey. So together, we bump into how to create these more just relations or just systems. As we're going through this transformative learning as independent learners, a restorative approach gives us a bigger bucket to say, but what does it look like if Chris is three steps ahead of me on his learning? Hmm. And how do we connect? And how do we still have sort of more communal sense making? How do we make sense of what needs to happen when things go wrong? How do we make things right? How do we build systems from a human-centered perspective versus system-centered. And so hmm. dismant dismantling things like systemic racism, as we'll talk about, requires systemic change. And that seems like you could just do a policy shift, but really it's every bit of that transformative cognitive uh, shift, that th those behaviors, those decisions that you're talking about. But it is also community commitment. It's how do we do that together? And so using those principles of a restorative approach that leverages hearing from people, being broadly consultative, having a facilitator so that you're not doing it alone. You talk about a guided journey that in this kind of a way, we can sit as facilitators to that learning. So th they dovetail very nicely and yeah. we think anyway, in the yeah. way that we can have these conversations that allow us to talk about things like microaggressions and allyship and virtual signaling and a whole bunch of other things that we tend to avoid because they are awkward and messy. And rarely do you find facilitators who will be clumsy enough to say, well, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. 
but we, you might get it wrong. Yeah, well, sure. But, but we might get it right. <laughs> and then we'll learn along the way. So I think that's kind of where we want to, we well, want to be. Yeah. And if, again, if you're listening to this, you need to know that I, you know, understanding transformed learning theory and those three changes is great in transformed learning theory has a lot of guidance on how to do it in a classroom. But when we're talking about the workplace, you're going to hear us talk a lot about the workplace or at home mm -hmm. from the person's perspective. That's great. Psychological, convictional, behavioral changes. Uh, how do I do that in a meeting? Like, how do I use that principle in a meeting? And that's yeah. what I love about restorative approach, Jake, is that it gives you some very practical tools, some, some easy real world steps about how to organize a room, how to structure a conversation, how to respond, yeah. uh, words you can use to respond. And, and that's what I ended up calling you about often was help me make this real with restorative approach. And we How just we make uh, this right. Yeah. The, it, and the two fit. Yeah. Do, wait, right means yeah. I made a mistake and I need to fix it. And I think that's okay. That's true. there we go. We did talk about we're that. gonna we're gonna have a lot of those in this. Well, I guess I'm gonna have the yeah, little sub uh, little sub disses there every once in a while. <laughs> so it's gotta, if be gotta be true to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so some themes you're gonna hear us discuss. And if you have a theme you'd like us to discuss or topic or an yeah. issue. Throw it in there. We'll talk about it. We're not going to completely cover it or anything, but we definitely will bring it up in a conversation. So you're going to hear things like uh, colonialism. That's going to be a fun one. Microaggressions. Jake, you mentioned cancel culture the other day. Yeah. Gender equity. And again, from the point of being dudes. Yeah. Virtue signaling. Uh, allyship. A lot of this comes down to power dynamics. Privilege. Privilege. Yeah. Bosses, male bosses, the female subordinates. How do you lead up as a female subordinate? Voice heard. So we we really want to use practical experiences that people who listen will say, ah, oh my gosh, that just happened to me. Or, hey, somebody mentioned that and I didn't say anything because I don't know what they're talking about. What should I know about that? That kind of thing. Yeah. There, I mean, I'll, even some of these words that you know, we talk about, like, uh, you know, virtue signaling or microaggression or intersectionality. I mean, those words can be scary and make yeah. the whole conversation inaccessible. So we're also going to have a quick reference place on our uh, website where you can just say, what does that term mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if, if we, we don't want to assume that everyone knows what these terms are and it can get really bogged down in, in speak. Right. And then it's just not helpful. So it will be in the show notes. All right. So we're doing this, Jake. This is it. We're doing a podcast. Or we've just had a really great conversation about <laughs> doing a podcast. So either way, it's been fun. This podcast is brought to you by the RW Institute, produced by Daniel Parker, recorded remotely in Los Angeles from Baltimore, Maryland and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Be sure to subscribe so you can keep up with the conversation. Care to react? Submit your comments at rw.institute or on the comment feature where you're listening now.